My dear parishioners and friends of St. Anne's Church, welcome. I greet all of you who join us in the pews today as we gradually reopen and accommodate more and more of you Sunday after Sunday who return to Mass. And to those who join us by way of electronic media, we welcome you as well in your spiritual communion with us as we offer Mass here at St. Anne's on this 17th Sunday in ordinary time and in a special way to celebrate the patrol feast of St. Anne. On this, her feast day, St. Anne, Anne, and Joachim, the parents of the Blessed Virgin and grandparents of Jesus. In fact, we have a beautifully restored statue of St. Anne with the daughter Mary here in our sanctuary that has been just restored, arrived yesterday, thanks to Susie Choro and Bill Adair. Are you with us today? Please stand and be recognized. There you are. Thank you very much, and we're grateful to you for this beautiful work that you've given us. This statue was in the school left abandoned for many, many years. It had how many coats of paint on that statue? Several paints. And you took it all down, brought it back to life. It arrived yesterday as we wrap up our novena to St. Anne, and she's now a permanent addition here in our sanctuary. She's a very heavy statue. She's not going anywhere anytime soon. And we're grateful to you, Susie and Bill, and to Goldleaf Studios for this incredible work. Once again, thank you. Today, let's reflect on the dream that Solomon had as we read from the Book of Kings and think about our own dream in light of his, because dreams are important. They're indicators of our hopes and desires, our fears and joys, challenges, and all the mysteries of life. And God said to Solomon, Ask something of me, and I will give it to you. What an amazing offer. Think of all the things that Solomon could have asked for. He didn't ask for riches or a long life, things that most people often think of first. They're important. They're the stuff of the world. No, he didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for this or that. He asked for understanding, for wisdom. This is why we often speak of the wisdom of Solomon. A wise person chooses carefully, having reflected on what is really important, most substantial, most meaningful, and purposeful. And for this reason, we are told that God said to him, because you have asked for this, you've asked for the gift of understanding, not for a long life for yourself, nor for riches, but for understanding, so that you may know right from wrong, I do as you requested. The wisdom of Solomon to know and to understand right from wrong, truth from falsity, good versus evil, wisdom versus folly. Isn't that in part what we all want from God? Maybe, maybe not. See, dear friends, as Christian believers, we are members in this world, but we are not essentially members of this world. And that's the distinction I want to play on today. 
being in the world, but not of the world. Yes, we live and move and have our being in the world. That's just the physics of being here. We have to work, pay our bills, provide and shelter for our children, get up each day and do something in the world, and even for the world. Given our own station in life and all that is expected of us to survive and even find some relative joy amidst the struggles and challenges all around us every day. That's the world. We live in the world. And there's a purpose to that. And God's providence has put us in the world at this time. My time, your time. It's a relatively short time, but we're in the world for a time being. But we are not as such of the world. What do I mean? Well, let's go back to Solomon for a moment. Solomon was able to make the distinction, in a sense, because he was granted the gift of understanding, of wisdom, to know the difference among all the priorities of life, which occupied him as a king, a ruler with incredible responsibilities to his people. Breaking it down a bit, as it were, he was able to discern carefully what was most important in his life and the life of his people. Namely, to know, to love, and to serve the Lord with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind. Of all the things I remembered most in my Sunday school classes as a young boy growing up was one of those first tenets of the old Baltimore Catechism. Maybe you remember it too. Remember the question, why did God make me? Why did God create me? How many of you remember the answer? Raise your hands. Okay, you're telling your age. Wonderful. Now, God made me, says the answer, God created me to know, to love, and to serve him in this life that I might do so most perfectly in the next. To know, to love, and to serve the Lord in this life, in this world, so that it might do so most perfectly in the next. God made me to know, to love, and to serve him this way. In other words, priorities, perspective, the understanding that everything I have in this life, everything is designed for me to be a means to the end, not ends in themselves, but means to know, to love, and to serve God in this life so that I might do so most perfectly in the next. Everything I have in this life is designed to be that means by which I come closer to my primary vocation to know, to love, and to serve the Lord with all my heart. Now, this is not easy for a lot of us. Why? Because we often get caught up with the stuff of the world and forget that we are not designed ultimately to be members of the world. We're in the world, but not designed to be of the world. We often lose sight and perspective and get confused about 
who we really are as individual persons making our way through life with all of its demands and temptations to be someone other than who God originally intended us to be. We got lost along the way somehow, thanks to Adam and Eve, our first parents, and the fallout of that original sin. It got confusing for them. It gets confusing at times for us. As we've said so often from this pulpit, you and I remember who we are when we remember whose we are. I know who I am when I remember whose I am. I don't belong to the world, ultimately. Well, I'm in the world, but I don't belong to the world. I belong to God. Okay, let's keep this in mind. So Solomon got that distinction. He understood rightly that the most effective way he could govern his people as a great king was to recognize who he was by remembering whose he was. He was created to know, to love, and to serve the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul. Again, why did God make me? God made me to know, to love, and to serve the Lord in this life, in this world, so that as a member of the kingdom of God, I might do so most perfectly in the next. The wisdom of Solomon was enjoyed. He came to that special joy by understanding that every human person, every place, and everything in life may be important and valuable, beautiful, meaningful, attractive, powerful. But none of those persons, places, or things can so occupy my mind and heart that I lose sight of the one who made all these things possible for me and made them possible to enjoy, to take joy in them, but as means to the end, not as ends in themselves. That's the distinction. Again, as I've said, there is always the tendency to get confused about these things. It's not easy to remember this distinction. Sometimes we esteem so much the value to the ones we love, to the places we love, to the things we love, that we forget that the greatest and greatest importance and value in my life is no less, no more than God himself. In fact, we believe that God is the most important person in my life. Indeed, three persons in God, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And the most important place in my life where I can experience his divine presence among us, a sacred place set aside from the world to convey that presence in its most authentic way. That's called the church. And the most important thing in my life is, for us believers, the sacrifice of the Mass, which makes possible my holy communion with him under forms of bread and wine. And I find all of that here. This little oasis of prayer, this sacred place where he is truly present, body and blood. For us, as Catholic Christians, the holy sacrifice of the Mass is the priority of our lives. 
we say that the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith. The Second Vatican Council made that clear. It has always been our tradition. No one more important than Jesus. Here we experience God made man again, represented in fullness through the spiritual communion of his life, death, and resurrection. And from here, we take back into the world all the graces we need to face another day of challenge, of work, of joys and sorrows. The Mass provides us the person, the place, and the thing to do all of this with perspective, with understanding, with wisdom. Perhaps if you or I were asked in a dream by God tonight, what do you request? Just one thing, and I will grant it. What would you say? Think about it. Take a minute to think about that. I have one request that God will grant. Do you know? Are you afraid to ask? Are you afraid you might make the mistake and not choose carefully? Well, let me help you out, I hope, with your request. See, for me, as a priest, 31 years, there's a little prayer in this sacristy and it is in many sacristies throughout the world, which reads, Priest of God, say this Mass as if it were your first Mass, your last Mass, your only Mass. Say this Mass as if it were your first your last, your only Mass. Now, I read that here at St. Anne's 31 years ago when I came to you as a young associate pastor. It's stayed with me ever since. It's there in the sacristy now. I offer it to you. It's a beautiful way of a request to participate in this Mass as though it were your first Mass your last Mass, your only Mass. I suppose if God were to invite me to ask for one thing right now, I'd ask that I could offer this Mass that way. Why? Because the Mass is the true means of salvation afforded me in this life, in this world. Here, I remember who I am by recalling whose I am. I don't belong to the world. I belong to him, and I need to remember that. It's almost every day I get up and have to remember that one. It's so tempting to think otherwise. And here I experience the closest I can get to God, this side of heaven, in the body and blood of the God-man Jesus. Wow. And here at Mass, I'm surrounded by the angels and saints who intercede for me, and come to my aid. Here I experience you, parishioners, and dear friends who seek to understand what I believe, what we believe, in the deposit of faith handed down by Christ Jesus to Peter and his apostles and successors. 
for 2,000 years into the end of time. Here, I began again each day to reset the balance of my life as I put aside for a moment all the other priorities of life and all the other many persons and places and things which are so beautiful, so wonderful and meaningful and lovely and sources of joy for me and see them all, though, in proper perspective as means to God and not as ends in themselves. For no other person, place, or thing could ever be more important in my life than Jesus Christ. And where do I find him? Well, here, clearly in this sacred place, day after day in the Holy Eucharist, especially where he waits silently to feed me, to nourish and sustain me, to enrich my life in this world with his grace so that I can come to know, love, and serve him most perfectly in the next. Here, all the graces are afforded to me as well to love my neighbor and to love myself properly. See, when we think about all those persons, places, and things which are important in our lives, There's a tendency in the culture to put all of them on a par with God, to say they're all as important as God. I find God in nature. I find God in you and me and food and drink and fun. And I find God in my dog and cat. I find God everywhere. God's everywhere, right? See, putting God on a par with everything else. Now that's called pantheism. Pan, Greek, everywhere. Theos, God. God is everywhere. God is in everything. True to some extent, but not by identity. Not to say God is in my dog that way. God is in you that way. That's to make you a God. No, not by identity, but by analogy of being as St. Thomas Aquinas and Aristotle tell us. By analogy, God is in and throughout the universe by analogy, but God could never be identified as the sun, as the moon, the stars, earth, air, wind, fire. No, those are heresies. In fact, it's called idolatry. Which is why the first commandment is perhaps the most important that Yahweh gave to Moses. I alone am the Lord your God. You won't have other persons, places, and things on a par with me. Don't forget that one, guys. Okay? Don't make persons, places, and things idols, idols, gods. I'm not on a par with them. I alone am the Lord your God. You shall not have strange gods before me. That doesn't mean that the things of the world are bad, that we should, as Puritans, disparage them and say, no, they're all evil. No. Catholics understand that all these things of the world, all this universe is beautifully created, wonderfully created for us to enjoy. Enjoy, take joy in as means to the end, not as ends in themselves. 
And that lesson often people forget. When we think about all those persons and places and things which are important in our lives, there's a tendency to think they're all that divine presence among us. And as we've said, these are heresies. We can think, in other words, that all those lovely persons, as wonderful, beautiful as they may be, all those places and restaurants and islands and vacation spots and experiences and, oh my gosh, the list of stuff and art and architecture and, oh, wonderful, I have all the treasures of the world. This is what is so alluring about the stuff in the world. Wonderful. Don't knock it. But use it. Now, we may not like that phrase, to use things. We don't even like the phrase to use people. But understand what I'm saying, following St. Augustine, who says, uti et frui, use and enjoy. Use everything. Use every person, every place, everything to get to heaven. That's why those persons, places, and things are in your way. In fact, they've been placed on your way as you make your way to heaven. Use your husband, use your wife as means to the end. No, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound right, Father. It sounds disrespectful. No, 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 no. Marriage was meant to be the means to heaven. Children, means to heaven. Your animals, means to heaven. The birds, the bees, the plants, this whole universe, everything, everything, all the wonderful, most beautiful things and persons and places, they're all there before you. What Satan always is doing is to say what? Hey, worship all this and it can be yours. Don't you want that? Isn't that your request tonight from God in your dream? I want it all. That'll make me happy. That'll make me powerful. And then I'll really have life. Loser. That's the great mistake people make. Okay? This universe was intended to be for us as the means to know, to love, and to serve him. The evil one often deceives and his cunning deceptions confuse us. We become frustrated, angry, and we may even get lost. Where your heart is, there you will find your treasure. So applying all of this to the gospel today, we learn that the pearl in the parable, the pearl of life, is our greatest treasure. So reflect on that pearl in your life. What is it? Who is it? Where is it? What's the pearl? Who is that person, place, or thing? And maybe it's a string of pearls. Keep that pearl or pearls in perspective. In other words, we seek happiness in a world of comfort only too often to find monotony. We search for satisfaction in a world of pleasure and often find discontent. We look for power in the world of affluence, but so often we find disillusion. And we're forced to conclude that our life is devoid of true meaning because it might be devoid of God. We forgot who we are because we perhaps forgot whose we are. 
Well, if you're looking for that pearl again, it's here. The finest, the most beautiful, the most incredibly fantastic treasure is in our midst. It's here. It's called the Mass. You found it again. Offer this Mass as if it were your first Mass, your last Mass, your only Mass. Treasure that pearl. Invest in it. Share it with others. Because Jesus is the most satisfying pearl we could ever hope to have now in this life that we might enjoy that pearl most perfectly in the next. God love you and happy Feast of St. Anne to all of you.